Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. When I was growing up, I was uh, really really clumsy, like to a ridiculous amount of clumsy. Uh, now, if you know me and my wife, Ruth, she's like another level of clumsy to me, like even worse. She once walked out the door at work and sprained her ankle just from like walking over a step. So like she's another level to me. So as you can imagine, stuff in our house gets broken all the time, specifically glasses. Uh, we once had uh, Josh and Jess around at ours who lead the morning meeting at CCM. And over the course of one evening, uh, me and Ruth between us managed to smash three wine glasses, literally just like knocking it over with our elbows and stuff. But I was, I was most clumsy when I was a kid, uh, and, and one of the things I did more than anything was fall over. Uh, and I fell over like all the time. I do this weird thing uh, when I walk where like one of my feet turn inwards just to trip the other foot up, and then I end up on the floor. I blame my parents for not teaching me how to walk properly. Um, Uh, Anyway, no matter how many times I fell, one of the things I could not get my head around was that every time I fell, that I needed to put my hands out to stop me um, to break the fall, right? Uh, And for the life of me, I could never remember to do this. So, meaning that when I fell over, I just fell head first to the floor. Um, I specifically remember my infant's teacher having to give me a lesson on how to fall over <laughs> properly by putting your hands out to break the fall. I, I was hopeless, um, but no matter how many times I fell, I always had people around me to help me get back up, right? And my infant's teacher, she never gave up on her dream that one day I would learn the skill to be able to fall over without banging my head on the concrete. Um, And you see, no matter how many times we fall over, that we trip up in life, no matter how many times we fail and make mistakes, there is a God who is always there to pick us back up. There is a God that never gives up on us, who teaches us to keep going and helps us get back up. Now, my infant teacher could have very well left me on the floor, called me helpless and walked off. She probably would have been fired, but she could have done that. Uh, But she didn't. Time and time again, she helped me. Um, When we make mistakes, God has every right to walk away and leave us. But no, he steps into our story. He picks us back up and helps us to not trip up again. And in Malachi, we see Jesus being described as this purifying fire. This fire that doesn't just destroy us when we mess up, but a fire that works in our hearts and our minds, that cleans us and removes the contaminants and the impurities in us. That as we journey with Jesus and as he removes the impurities from our lives, that we will begin to look more and more like him. So today we're reading from Malachi 2.17 to um, chapter 3, verse 5. If you've got your Bibles, uh, grab them, turn on your phones. Uh, and I'm reading uh, from the NLT version. I don't know if it's up. It's not because I chose a fancy font that the laptop didn't understand, I know. So Malachi 2.17 um, to 3, verse 5 says this. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? You've wearied him by, asking, by saying that all who do evil are good in the Lord's sight, and he is pleased with them. You've wearied him by asking, where is the God of justice? Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. 
Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant who you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when it comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to God. Then once more, the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem as he did in the past. At that time, I'll put you on trial. I'm eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, or who deprive the foreigners living among you for justice. For these people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, a bit of context. Malachi was uh, about... um, it was alive about 100 years after the Israelites returned from Babylonian exile. And it's specifically written to those living in Jerusalem. The temple had been rebuilt a while ago, but things were not going great. You see, when the Israelites first returned from exile, they had high hopes that they would return to um, Jerusalem, uh, that they would be able to rebuild their lives, rebuild the temple, and that all those great promises and prophecies spoken over them would come true. That ultimately, a Messiah would come and establish God's kingdom over a unified Israel. And ultimately, that there would be justice and peace for all. But that's not what happens. Instead, the new people in Jerusalem were just as unfaithful as their ancestors that had gone before them. There was poverty, injustice, corruption everywhere. And the book of Malachi is written as a kind of like a series of disputes between God and the Israelites. And, and this actually happens six times in the book. God will make a claim against the Israelites, the Israelites will disagree, and then God responds. And what we see in, in Malachi uh, for, uh, chapter 2, 17 to chapter 3, verse 5, is that God is tired from the accusations coming from the Israelites, of them calling him an unjust God. And as we see through the passage is that God responds in this amazing prophecy of a coming Messiah who is the opposite of unjust, but the very definition of what true justice should look like. Um, When I was a kid, uh, me and my older brother, we didn't always get on. In fact, I'd say the majority of the time uh, we'd be fighting. And any of the times that he ever wronged me, I always had this huge sense of injustice welling up inside of me, that I had been wronged, that things were not fair. And there was this one time, and I'm pretty sure I've used this as a preaching analogy, but it shows how bitter I still am about this particular thing. It genuinely still hurts. Um, This one time I'd built this amazing go-kart, right? I'd been dreaming of it for years. It had flames on the side, which obviously made it go faster. Um, it, it was beautiful. It even had like this little section on the back that someone who was pushing it, they could jump on it and ride with the car. It was amazing. Pretty sure it would be in any car uh, on the Top Gear test track. It, it was a thing of wonder. And I had visions of my kids and my grandkids riding it, of me being able to say... Oh, in my youth, I created that cult with my own two hands. You kids, you don't know anything. Um, and then one day, I'd briefly, briefly mentioned to my brother that one day I might get rid of the go-kart, right? There were not many hills where I grew up, so I was like, I don't really use it. I might sell it, something like that. And he took it 
as I didn't want it anymore. Uh, So when it snowed one day, he decided with his friends to take it to a hill nearby and he rode it down the hill as a sled. Of course, it broke and it was completely destroyed along with my heart. Um, I told my parents about it. They didn't do anything. Uh, I felt that I had been wronged. A proper injustice had taken place. Uh, You you can tell I've had a hard life, right? Um, But we live in a society, right, that is constantly trying to seek justice for things, don't we? Like, we only have to go on social media to see petitions to our government, to look on the news and see demands for justice for things like the Me Too movement. Justice, as well, is not a short-term process either. You just need to look at things like the Hillsborough disaster, where people have been seeking justice for the 96 people who died at that football stadium for over 30 years. Justice is often what we seek out when we feel wronged or we feel like someone's got away with something that they shouldn't have. It often comes out kind of in a form of anger, a sort of restlessness that comes when people want to see in their view a positive outcome for something bad that has happened. It is seen as a kind of like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth sort of thing. And in Malachi 2.17, we don't see anything different. It says this, You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? You have wearied him by saying that all who do evil are good in the Lord's sight, that he is pleased with them. You have wearied him by asking, where is the God of justice? Here, the Israelites are saying, look, God, look at all the corruption around us. Look at all the mess around us, the people who are doing wrong and are evil. Why are you not doing anything about it? Why are you allowing all this to happen? Where is this God of justice we've heard about? Where are you, God, sort out all the bad things that are around us? Basically, what the Israelites are doing is they're accusing God of neglect, And by them saying, where is this God of justice? You could even say they're questioning the very existence of God. But we so often do this, don't we? We look around at the world and we see the suffering and we blame God for the things that we see around us and for the situations that are going wrong in our life. We say to God, look, look, God, if you're so loving, if you love us that much, then why is this happening to me? If you really love me, then you do something about it. Or we ask that that big question of, if God is so good, then why does he let bad things happen to good people? If God is so good, then why is there suffering? Why is there pain? Where is this God of justice? And while it's not a bad thing to question, um, to have questions to God, to wrestle with those big questions in life, such as why does God let bad things happen to good people? It's not wrong to have those questions and to ask God to help us understand those issues we see in the world around us. But the problem comes when we as humans, in questioning God, start to believe that we are better than him, that we are above him, that we know how to deal with the world's problems better than he does. Here in this passage, the Israelites, instead of wrestling with those big questions, they're outright accusing God of not being good, of not being a good judge, of being unfair and unjust. In other words, they're saying that they know better than God. And the moment we start doing that is the moment that we place ourselves above him. And we forget that God is God and we are not and this is, this is something we've all done at some point. At some point, we've all turned our back on God, put two fingers up at him and said, you know what, God, I want to live life for myself. I want to live it my own way. I know how to live life better. I want to live for myself and do what I want. 
We, um, we first see this in Genesis, that God created everything, and it was good. He created man and woman in his own image, and it was good. But the problem came when Adam and Eve eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge, because they're promised that if they eat the fruit, they will become like God. It says this in Genesis chapter 3. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that there was a tree, the, that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. So right from the beginning, we as mankind have turned our back on God, thinking we know more that we know better. And the moment that we do this, the moment we go our own way, which we all do at some point, this is the moment we let impurities into our lives. We see we were made in the image of God, but we've let these things into our lives that spoil the reflection of him. Things like greed, power, wanting our own way, rebellion against God. Uh, We also see it in the Tower of Babel, where they attempted to build this huge tower into the sky to reach up to God, to be like him. This is a problem where we think we know better than God. We think we know how justice should work in the world. Look at those people. They deserve a punishment. They deserve a consequence for what they've done. Look, God, do something about it. This is exactly what the Israelites are saying in in Malachi 2.17. And we do the same now. But when we do this, as a result, we forget something so, so important. That actually, as it says in Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of of God's glorious standard. Not one of us is blameless. We have all messed up. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. We have all turned our backs on God. And as a result, said that we think we know better. I think we, um, we live in a world where we want God to show grace to us, but justice to everybody else. We want justice for things, but haven't stopped to think what that same justice would mean for us. Actually, in reality, we all deserve a punishment for what we've done wrong. We deserve justice. When we rebel against God, we deserve a consequence to that rebellion. But instead, God extends the hand of grace, not just to us, but to everybody and anybody. And how does he do this? Through Jesus, the solution to our rebellion. You see, the problem is the way that we think that we're above, a, above God. These are the impurities that we have in us. But the solution is Jesus, the purifying fire, the solution to the injustice in the world. I, um, I, love, I love fire. Uh, a couple of years ago, I bought a fire pit for my garden. It's probably one of my favorite purchases uh, I bought for my house. I know Tim loves fire as well. It's just great. My favorite sort of evening is uh, kind of like a barbecue with a few friends, followed by a fire pit late into the evening. It's my favorite. Uh, now, in order for that to happen, I need plenty of wood, uh, plenty of fuel to keep the fire going. Over the course of the evening, I constantly need to put more wood on the fire, otherwise the fire would die down. It's a, it's a fire that will burn up any kind of like wood-like materials I put in it. 
But there are fires that are even hotter. These are kind of like all-consuming fires that literally leave nothing in their way. They will burn up literally anything that you put in them. An example would be the, um, the recent forest fires that we saw in Australia, where the flames were so all-consuming, so hot, that 17.9 million acres of Australia's land has been burned since September. In fact, these fires were so hot that they created their own thunderstorms and their own lightning, which are similar conditions uh, during a volcanic eruption or an atomic bomb blast. We're used to this whole idea of fires being consuming, leaving nothing in their way. But in Malachi chapter 3, we're introduced to a different sort of fire, one that doesn't consume but purifies and refines We hear this amazing prophecy of a coming Messiah, a coming saviour, who like a purifying fire will refine us and purify our hearts. That he will be someone who brings true justice. Not the justice that we deserve, but grace. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 3 says this. Look, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the government um, who you've been looking for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Here um, we see God talking about two people that will come in the future. The first is, is John the Baptist, the messenger that will prepare the way before the Messiah. And the second is this messenger of the covenant who we now know as Jesus. The Israelites, as we've already heard, were eagerly waiting uh, for this promised Messiah, a a Messiah that would unify Israel and bring justice and peace to all. And here what God is saying is that there is a Messiah coming, but he won't be one that just consumes, but he will be like a fire that purifies. You see, when we turned our back on God and let those impurities into our lives, the reality of it is that we deserve death. Romans 6, 23 puts it, like, puts it like this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is the eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, we deserve an all-consuming fire. A fire that burns everything. The sort of fire that leaves nothing behind, like those devastating fires in Australia. One that nothing can stand in the way of. But here we're told that the Messiah will be different, that he will be a blazing fire that doesn't destroy but refines, that purifies. And we're given this example of refining metal, refining gold and silver and burning away the dross or impurities. That as an alloy is melted, it will separate. The pure part of the metal will sit at the bottom, but the pure impurities will float on the top, ready to be skimmed away. You see, the only way we can be reconnected with God, the only way we can stand to be near him is if we are perfect, pure, without blemish, like a pure metal, like gold or silver. But we're not. Right from the time we're born, we let these impurities in. But God, God sends a solution through Jesus, the purifying fire, that God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus uh, came to earth, God in human form. He lived a perfect life, meaning that he did 
nothing wrong. He never had those impurities that we have. He told some amazing stories, performed some amazing miracles, but the most amazing thing he ever did for us was die on the cross. That by dying on the cross, Jesus takes all our impurities. He takes all the sin and all the mess in our lives. He takes it all on himself. And like a purifying fire, he removes all our impurities and he puts them on himself. That by dying on the cross, Jesus takes the punishment we deserve for the things that we've done wrong. I love this verse in Romans 5 verse 8. It says, but God demonstrates his love for us in in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in our mess, Jesus stepped into our story. And why did he do this? So we can be pure. So we can be reconnected with the very source of life. And what's crazy is that three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, proving not only that he is God, but when we die, we get to spend eternity with God in heaven. What I love about this is that God's version of justice is so different from our view of it. That no matter how many times we mess up, no matter how many times we turn away from God, he still extends the hand of grace to whoever will turn to him. That whoever chooses to stand in that refining fire may be reconnected to the very source of life. However, there is a choice to be made, to be consumed or to be refined. And while in this passage God tells us of this amazing purifying fire that would get rid of our impurities, there is still a choice to be made. The choice of letting Jesus refine us or rejecting it and saying, actually, God, I want to go my own way and I want to do my own thing. I, um, I hate exercise. Like, I really, really hate it. Uh, unless it's competitive, it's really boring. And I hate that in order to be fit and healthy, that you really need to exercise. If you don't realize that, then you probably need to start doing some exercise. And um, the one thing I, I probably hate more than any other forms of exercise is running. Running is literally pointless, right? Humans, humans have invented bikes, cars, aeroplanes, trains, tricycles, hot air balloons, zorbs, pogo sticks, parachutes, segways, hoverboards, and toboggans, all to avoid running. <laughs> Yet for some reason, we still choose to do it. And for some reason, when I exercise, I've chosen running as my way of doing it. Uh, massive hypocrite, I know. Uh, and... Um, A couple of years ago, after avoiding running for about 10 years, uh, I decided to run a 10K. Uh, I've done it twice now, and I hated it both times. Uh, But what I discovered, right, and this will really blow your mind, the more I ran, the better I got at it, right? Because the more I trained and trained, the more muscle I built up and the more fat that I burned, the faster I got. This wasn't easy. Uh, it, it hurt. It was painful. There were days when walking up the stairs felt like climbing Mount Everest, but it paid off. You see, being in God's refining fire, in his purifying fire, is not an easy experience. It's hot. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. It's the process of time and time again burning off the fat so we can run faster, so we can build up muscle, build up endurance. That as we run this race with God by our side, that as we let God into our lives to shape it and change it, even though we will fall fall down time and time again, if we let God, he will purify our hearts and slowly and surely he will remove those impurities in our lives. 
2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As we let Jesus in our hearts, his spirit will change and transform us into a new creation. Not that we can just turn to God once and then go back to our old lifestyle and expecting to still be pure. But it's a a continual process of time and time again coming to Jesus and letting him be the fire that purifies our hearts. Saying to God that we're sorry for going our own way and doing our own thing and that we need him in our lives. Romans 12 verse 2 says this, Don't copy the behaviour and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, the only way we can do that is that by time and time again, coming to God, admitting our mistakes, and letting uh, letting him change us, the way we think, the way we talk, and the way that we act. There's, um, there's this story um, of a group of women who uh, were meeting for a Bible study uh, while they were studying uh, the book of Malachi. And they were looking at chapter 3, the one we're looking at. And they came across this verse that says, He will sit as a refiner and the purifier of silver. And the verse puzzled them. And they wondered how this statement applied to the character and the nature of God. One of the women offered to find out more about the process uh, of refining silver and get back to the group the following week. So during that week, the woman calls up a uh, silversmith and made an appointment to watch him while at work. She didn't mention anything for the reason for her interest beyond her curiosity about the process of refining silver. Uh, as she watched the silversmith work, he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire, where the flames were the hottest, as to burn away all the impurities. The woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot. Uh, Then she thought again about the verse that he sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. She asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the entire time the silver was being refined. The man answered yes, that not only did he have to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on it the entire time it was in the fire. If the silver was even left a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. The woman was silent for a moment. Then she asked the silversmith, but how do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled at her and answered, that's easy, when I see my image in it. In the process of refining metals, the raw material is heated with fire until it melts. The impurities separate it from it and rise to the surface. They are skimmed off, leaving pure metal. Without this heating and melting, there could be no purifying. Uh, As the impurities are skimmed off, um, the top, the reflection of the worker, appears smooth and pure. As we are purified by God, his reflection in our lives becomes more clear to those around us. That as we follow Christ, others will be drawn to him by the way we talk and the way we act. Not that I like, like I said before, not that this is easy, going through kind of the heating process and getting rid of those impurities. But once we choose to stand in that refining fire, God will slowly purify us so we'll start to look more like him. 
But this, this is an active choice. We have to choose to want to be refined by Jesus. We have to accept that he is God and we are not, and that we need him to remove those impurities in our lives. 1 John 1 verse 9 says this, it says, But if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. And the, um, the final passage, a bit of the passage explains what happens when we choose to go our own way instead of God's way. It says this, that at that time I will put you on trial. I'm eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. For these people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's army. Here, God, he finishes this answer to the accusation from the Israelites that he doesn't care about evil and injustice in the world. He's explained that there is grace through Jesus, the purifying fire, but ultimately, for those who choose not to stand in that fire, there is justice, there is judgment. The message version of the Bible it puts it like this. Yes, I'm on my way to visit you with judgment. I'll present compelling evidence against sorcerers, adulterers, liars, those who exploit workers, those who take advantage of widows and orphans, those who are inhospitable to the homeless, anyone and everyone who doesn't honour me. You see, we can either choose to be refined or consumed. God, he extends this amazing hand of grace to us through Jesus, the purifying fire. But if we reject it and tell God that we'd rather go our own way and do our own thing, to live life for ourselves, there is a consequence to that choice. That ultimately, if we separate ourselves from the very source of life, there can only be one outcome, death. And we're told in Matthew 25 that there'll be a moment in history where Jesus comes back to earth and he will separate the sheep and the goats. Or in other words, he will separate those who chose to follow him and those who decided to live for themselves. The ones who live for themselves will get to spend eternity with God in heaven, but those who live for themselves will spend eternity separated from him. We have a choice to make. Finally, um, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 7, verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates our body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. We have that choice, whether to go our own way or to stand in that refining fire. No, it won't be easy, but knowing ultimately that we, if we invite Jesus into our hearts, he will purify us. He will refine us. You see, the problem is our impurities, the stuff we let into our lives. From the very beginning, we rebel against God and do our own thing. But there's a solution that God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to to earth. He lives this perfect life and he dies on a cross and he takes the punishment for the things that we've done wrong so we can be reconnected with the very source of life. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, proving not only that he's God, but when we put our faith and our trust in him, we can live life to the full, life to the max. We just have that choice to go our own way or to live life for Jesus. And I can promise you, if you've never made that decision, living life for Jesus is the best thing you could ever do. It's not to say that life will always uh, be easy or you won't have any difficulty, but it just means that when you're going through those storms of life, the stuff that's tough, that actually you'll have the creator of the universe beside you through everything, through the good times and through the bad. Um, And so if everyone would like to stand up, I'm just going to pray. 
And then I, I'm going to give an opportunity, actually, for anyone who's never given their life to Jesus, who has never said, you know what, God, I need you, the driving seat of my heart. I'm going to give you an opportunity. But first, I, I, I'll pray. Yeah, God, thank you um, that you love us. Thank you that you gave everything for us, that even while we still sin as Christ died for us, that he took that punishment for us on the cross, God. Um, I pray that will be real to us today. And yeah, if that's you, if... Um, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you know that you need to right in this moment, I, I want you to do something really brave. And people's eyes are closed, but if that's you, if you know you need to give your life to Jesus, that you've been living this life going your own way, if that's you, what I'd like you to do is just to stick your hand up. No one's looking, no one's looking around. But if that's you, you know you need to give your life to Jesus today, I want you to put your hand up. I'm going to wait uh, a little bit. It's not awkward, I don't care. That's you, if you know you need to give your life to Jesus today. Secondly, I, I think there's some people here who are actually, um, you're a Christian, you've given your life to Jesus, but actually you've been living for yourself a little bit, like you kind of become a bit of a Sunday Christian where you come on Sundays, you might even go to community group during the week, but uh, all the other times you're kind of living life for yourself and that you've let those impurities into your life. Uh, and I feel like actually this might be a moment where some people who've done that, actually this might be a moment of saying, you know what, God, I'm sorry for doing that and I want to recommit my life to you again and again if that's you if that's you and you know that you need to turn away from stuff that's getting in the way between you and God again I want you to uh, just put your hand up as a declaration that you know what God I need to live for you If you didn't put your hand up for either one of them, it's not too late. Um, I would really encourage you, one, if you put your hand up, to grab someone, to pray with them. Um, If you didn't put your hand up and you wish you had, grab someone, pray with them. Come and grab me, grab anyone who's been at the front, um, and we would love to chat to you. We'd love to pray for you. Um, I'm going to pray, and then I'll hand over to um, to the band. Yeah, God, thank you that when we turn to you, that you forgive us. Thank you, um, God, that you just don't leave us in our mess, but you step into our story and into our lives, God. Um, Thank you that when we put our faith and trust in you, we can live life to the full and life to the max. Thank you that uh, you forget about that sin, God. You forget about that mess, God, and that you forgive us, God. Amen.